Hi, I'm Hannah. I'll be reading from page 557 in the Church Bibles. And it's Psalm 27, page 557. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. From the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take hearts and wait for the Lord. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, I'm Matthew, and I have the privilege of trying to help us all understand this passage. And I found it quite hard to prepare this sermon. Uh, There are a couple of reasons for that. The first is that normally, when I'm preparing a sermon, I'll read the passage through maybe three weeks beforehand and just kind of let it kind of stew at the back of my mind, let me think about it and kind of process it a little bit. Uh, but So I did that, I read it about three weeks ago, and then I went and ran a youth holiday for a week, and that kind of dominated my thinking, and it dominated my thinking as I came back and properly started to concentrate on this. I'll try not to be too self-indulgent and not talk too much about the holiday and keep myself on this passage, but that was quite where quite a lot of my thinking was. The second problem I'm slightly embarrassed to mention because I find it slightly embarrassing to say I don't really enjoy poetry that much and it's a poem. And so if it was a story from the Bible, I would normally, I'd read it, I'd be fascinated by it and I'd want to dig into it and think about it and understand it. Or if it was a chunk of, teaching from the Bible with something I kind of had to get my grapple and get my head around, I'd really enjoy doing that. And I don't enjoy doing that as much with poetry, so I kind of struggled a bit. But I know a lot of people do love poetry, and I also think it's important that we look at all of God's word, and I also believe that God can speak to every person through every bit of his word. And he did speak to me as I grappled with this and as I prepared this. There are a few other problems 
that I had with the, as I was thinking about this passage, but we'll get to them as they come along. The reason I'm just mentioning these, uh, the fact that I struggled a little bit, the main reason is because I haven't got anything clever this sermon. There's no gimmicks or anything. It is a bread and butter, solid sermon of we're just going through the passage. That's all it is. So, Psalm 27. It's a psalm of David, like a lot of the psalms. It's written by King David. We don't really know when during his life. There are some theories, and to be honest, it doesn't matter. Because it's someone who's struggling, and David seems to spend most of his life struggling. Maybe that's your experience as well. He starts by asking some questions. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And this is the first problem I came across as I properly looked at the passage. I don't know what the tone of this, this psalm, this poem is. I can't work out whether David wrote this when he was really confident or really struggling, or maybe a bit of both. Is he saying, in a very rhetorical way, the Lord is my light and my salvation, and therefore there's obviously no one I have to be afraid of? Or is he reminding himself that the Lord is his light and his salvation, and almost actually asking himself why he is afraid? And I can't work it out. And as we go on, we'll see more and more of confidence and doubt woven together in this psalm. But he asks some questions. Who should I fear? And who should I, who should I be afraid? He's just asking, who should he fear? David, we looked at the story of David uh, in the evening services not that long ago. And David's life was full of conflict and war and being hunted. Even once he was king, he still had conflict and war. And even when he was king, there were times when he was on the run as a king. His life was full of struggles. Full of things to be afraid of. So in some ways, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? David! There are people who want to kill you. They'd be pretty good contenders. That's who David thinks about next as he carries on. When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. He's sounding really confident right now. But he'll seem less confident soon. In verse 2, he's talking about his enemies and saying they will struggle. That, in fact, they will stumble and fall. That's the next problem I came across. I was actually looking at this properly, which is, I don't know about you, I don't think I have many enemies. Sure, there are some people I struggle to get on with, maybe. 
I'm sure there's some people who don't like me very much, but they're not really enemies, are they? Can I just say, if any of you are in the back of your head going, no, I'm definitely his enemy. Can you let me know afterwards? Just because I feel that'd be a useful thing to know. But I don't think I really have enemies. I've had the occasional rival that kind of, particularly when I was at school, had some people I was rivaled with, and that was that we weren't trying to devour each other. They weren't trying to besiege me. They weren't trying to hunt me down. We were just competing. So I kind of thought about this and said, actually, no, it's probably fine to... Since I don't really have any enemies, and I imagine most of us don't really have many enemies. Maybe you do. But I think of this more about struggles. Because I do have struggles. That youth holiday I mentioned, there were struggles on that. We weren't a large team running this youth holiday. And there were two different illnesses going on through, through, through the camp. And we kept on having leaders not being available for a couple of days due to illness. And it was hard. And it disrupted things. And we just had to trust God. And I think that's what David's doing. He's saying, when things are difficult, I can trust God. Because in verse 2, he says that his enemies will fail. But in verse 3, he doesn't say they'll fail. He doesn't say they'll succeed. He just says that he will be brave. My heart will not fear. He says, even then I will be confident. David states that when things go wrong, he will not fear. He will be confident. And I can't work out whether that is David telling, kind of writing down what is actually the truth, or whether it's more like he's making a promise, saying that I will be brave. I promise to be brave. And I can't work it out. After David has thought about his enemies, he moves on to thinking about God's presence. And this is the bit that really got my head in a twist. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And I thought, oh, that's, that's quite nice. And then I thought, hang on a minute. What does David mean when he says God's temple? Because... There wasn't a temple of God when David was alive. God's temple got built by David's son after David had died. So what, how, how is he referencing a temple? He mentions sacred tent as well, which was uh, the tabernacle, the, the tent God had given the designs of to Moses and it had been made. Maybe he's just talking about a tent. But the temple word in the Hebrew is definitely about a building. And the tent is definitely a tent. And so in the middle of this, you've got, I can't work out whether he's talking about a temple or a tent. Or maybe he's just talking about heaven. God's dwelling place, maybe he's just talking about heaven. 
And then I looked at the rest of the psalm and decided it can't be that either. So what's he talking about? He's not talking about a temple. I don't think he's just talking about the tent. And I don't think he's talking about heaven. And I got my head in a twist. And then I stepped back. And I told myself I was being an idiot. Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter exactly what David is referring to at which bits of this little section. Because it's very clear what he's talking about. He's talking about being in God's presence. He's talking about being close to God, about being part of God's household, being under God's protection. It's nuanced and it's complex, but it's about God's temple. And God's temple is where he's worshipped. And David kind of mixes in the idea of God's presence and worshipping God and being protected by God all into one concept. To David, God's presence is worship and protection. Having thought, asked us some questions, he thought, thinking about his enemies and then thinking about God's presence and the protection that brings, David thinks about success. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. David thinks that being close to God will bring success. And David thinks that the right reaction to success is worshipping God. David will be exalted, raised up, made, made great, made obvious made something people want to look at and that that's what will happen because God will make it happen and when that happens he says that he will worship when David thinks that there is right response to him being exalted is to then exalt God and so far this psalm seems very very confident And then David kind of starts to change his tone. Because he thinks more about God's presence. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my mother, father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of the oppressors. This bit of the Bible is very clearly written by someone who doesn't always feel close to God. Because if he always felt close to God, this bit of text makes zero sense. David has shifted from just writing, kind of, he's writing in the third person up to this point. He's just declaring the way things are and what will happen. And then he changes. He's got to write in the third and first person, and now he's very clearly addressing God. Before he was describing things about God, but now he's talking to God. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. David, having just thought about success, 
very humbly ask God. And he talks to God about the idea of talking to God. And he says, listen to me, God. Be with me, be close. Don't hide yourself from me, God. He asks God to be present and not to hide his face. It seems perhaps it's not enough to know that God is close. David also wants to feel it, wants to see it. And he asks God to accept him. And he seems confident that God won't abandon him, but still he asks God humbly to accept him. And then he humbly asks God to teach him God's ways. First, he asks, in the first bit when he thinks about God's presence, he says that the only thing he wants, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that he wants to be with God's presence. Which is odd that he said that previously, that he only wants one thing from God. Because then, in this bit, we've just, I was just reading there, he asks quite a few things from God on top of the, you know, being in God's presence thing because it's all wrapped up together. To David, God's presence is, a, is something he ex- wants to experience. He continues on and goes back to thinking about his enemies. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. In verses 2 and 3, David seemed to think that his enemies weren't going to be a problem because they would stumble and fall. And now, he's scared of them. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes. He's, uh, he's hum- now humbly asking God to not hand him over to his enemies. In verse 10, he's confident that God won't forsake him and now he's humbly asking God not to hand him over to his enemies. I can't see this as written by anyone other than someone who's kind of going through a crisis. He knows what God is like. He knows that God is good and loyal and committed to David. And yet he's pleading with God not to hand him over. He's in turmoil. First half the psalm, he seems confident, and then he seems less and less confident. But then he finds some confidence. After expressing doubts, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He ends with what he is confident of. And what a thing to be confident of. He's struggled with how he thinks about his enemies. He struggled with how he feels about feeling God's presence. But this is what he's confident of. He's confident that if he waits, he will see God do something in the land of the living. This isn't 
David saying, if I wait and remain faithful to God, when I die, God will do me right then. He's, this isn't a declaration of heaven. He's saying, in the land of the living. He's saying that I, if I wait, God will do good things for me in this life. If I wait. I will remain confident in this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He might not be able to see the goodness of God now, but he's confident that he will. It's not a matter of waiting for a pleasant afterlife. He expects God to help him soon. But he knows he must wait. It's going to happen in God's time, not his. And he knows it's because of God and not because of anything to do with him. At no point in this psalm has David seemed to think he deserved any of it. When he was confident, it was because of what God was going to do for him. And when he was kind of broken, he was humbly asking God to do something. He wasn't saying, I deserve this. He was just asking God to do it because God is someone who won't forsake him. It's all rooted in who God is and not who David is. He ends with an instruction. When he's confident in this psalm, he's just declaring the way things are. When he's broken and humble in this psalm, he's pleading with God. And then at the end, he gives an instruction and it's not clear to who to. I think this is mainly written by David as an instruction to David, to himself. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. But I think it's a really good instruction for any of us either who are either right now struggling to see God's goodness. Wait for it. I'm not saying it'll be easy. David struggled. Wait. You will see God's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for it. I imagine most of us who've been following God for any length of time have known times when it was hard to see God's goodness. I imagine most of us will probably, if we're following God, go through other times when it's hard to see God's goodness. And David's model here of just remembering the solid truths, humbly pleading with God and fundamentally just waiting for it isn't a bad model at all. The word hope isn't mentioned in this psalm but I think that's what it ends with. Not the hope as we normally mean it nowadays, of there's something that might happen or might not happen, and you're just kind of, you're kind of putting your weight of ex- and on, one, on the good side of that balance. You're hoping that it'll come out the right way. When the Bible talks about hope, it more talks about it as something you're waiting for. You might not know when it comes, but you know this is going to be good. You know God is going to act. You know he's going to do his work. And you're hoping and waiting 
expectantly, an expectant hope. And that's what, how David ends. Having gone through all these struggles in his head, wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He makes the decision to wait. It's not entirely clear when David's life, this psalm, was written. But it wasn't written right at the end. And therefore we know that he saw it. The goodness of the Lord. He waited. And through all the trials and difficulties and enemies that David had, he waited and hoped and expected and saw God's goodness again. I'm just going to read the psalm through again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says as you seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my saviour. Though my mother and father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord.